Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has been made known both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the Christ, through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those of you who were near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you were citizens and with the saints, and also you were members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him. The whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. May God bless this reading to our understanding. There is a dividing wall of hostility between us. We see it, we feel it, we lament it. There is a dividing wall of hostility between us. Your political party and mine, your news station and mine, your views on the vaccine and mine. There is a dividing wall of hostility between us. Their religion and ours, their language and ours, their country and ours. In the first century, after the time of Jesus, there was a dividing wall of hostility between the people who followed the teachings of Jesus. Some were Jews and some were Gentiles. Some were circumcised and some were not. Some kept kosher and some did not. Some practiced allegiance to the Roman government and some broke the laws of Rome. Some followed the laws of the religious establishment like the Ten Commandments and others disregarded those old laws as old stuff and silly rituals. They were aliens to one another, strangers to one another, and they had no hope of how to get out of this mess. This was no mere disagreement. This was a dividing wall of hostility between two large groups of people. The fabric of their community was fraying. The deep suspicions that they had for those who were different from them went back sometimes hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years, 
because they were all born knowing not to marry one of those, not to share a dinner table with one of those, not to trust one of those. The early church, those who sought to follow the teachings of Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead, was not some perfect, idyllic community. It was a fragmented community. They bickered. They split up into separate groups. They were frustrated by the lack of harmony and unity within the world. Last winter, we sent out a survey to the elders and deacons of this church listing for the elders and deacons a possible set of sermon series ideas and ask for votes. The number one vote-getter was the sermon series that we began today, Unity in a Polarized World. Now that was last winter, so you note that I gave myself many months to read up on the subject. Divided Nation, Divided Politics by Daryl West, a book that describes the mutual intolerance of our time. The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Religion and Politics by social psychologist Jonathan Haidt, laments the collapse of cooperation. A more recent book, The Upswing, How America Came Together a Century Ago and How We Can Do So Again, by Robert Putnam suggests that there is a way out of this difficult chapter in American life based on what we did in our history. Now I could save you all the time of reading all those books and dozens more by telling you that in each book there's one suggestion that's made. Sit down and have lunch with someone whom you disagree and listen. We have always known that peace is fragile in our world. The Sunnis and the Shiites fighting in Afghanistan, it's troubling to us, but that's, that's over there. Apartheid, when it was being challenged in South Africa, we believed that it was important, we wanted to participate, but that was so far away. We read and some of us travel to the Holy Land where the Palestinians and the Israelis fight generation after generation after a small strip of land, and we know it's tragic and it's terrible, but what can one person do to fix it? Sometimes we send troops to places like Bosnia or Afghanistan or Iraq in military uniform representing our country, and yet our lives go on the same. But in recent years, we have felt this divisiveness come home and take up residence on our home soil. On January 6, people draped in red, white, and blue flags stormed the United States Capitol and interrupted the work of Congress. We watched. We watched on the news, completely stunned that violence was happening in our Capitol. And when some of those who were intruding past the guards and moving into the congressional chambers paused to pray, I was appalled and devastated that anyone could confuse this violent intrusion with God's holy presence. What is concerning, if not frightening, is that the rift between neighbors here in our own nation appears to be widening. 
I remember years ago, I was in New York City when President Ronald Reagan was shot. I remember within a few days seeing images of then Democratic Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill visiting Reagan in his hospital room. They were political rivals, and yet on this day, when O'Neill was the first person outside the family to visit President Reagan, the two men joined hands and together they recited the 23rd Psalm because they were two friends respecting the one God. Lately, it seems like the dividing wall of hostility seems to be adding bricks of thickness that tear away at our social fabric. I have shared with some of you in the past this statistic from Alan Hilton's book, but it still gets to me that in 1960, pollsters asked people in our country, would you be displeased if your son or your daughter married someone from the other political party? Four and a half percent of respondents said yes. The study was done again in 2010. They asked both Republicans and Democrats, would you be concerned if your son or daughter married someone from the opposite political party? 43% said definitely. That's almost half of us. And that was in 2010. Imagine what it would be if we did the study today. But I think that what worries us most is not really the global tensions. Oh, yeah, that's a concern. Or even the national tensions. Oh, yeah, we care about that. What rips at our hearts, though, is the polarization that has invaded our own personal lives. The divisiveness and the hostility has become painful for some of us, many of us, on a personal level. A local massage therapist told me recently that she lost clients because she and her clients disagree on mask protocols. She said, I, I was so shocked we had never talked about it. I didn't know we were in different places. A woman in Missouri was donating her breast milk to a family in need. She notified the family that she had recently been vaccinated and the family said, no thank you, we don't want your help anymore. Many of us will sit down on Thanksgiving Day with members of our family whom we deeply love and we will tiptoe around avoiding certain topics because we do not want the dividing wall of hostility there on the table next to the platter of Turkey. And some will not gather with family because the dividing wall of hostility has already broken the family apart. In today's scripture, from the book of Ephesians, those who vehemently disagree with each other gather together in a small house church, standing shoulder to shoulder as they sing this hymn, Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and divided and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Christ is our peace. Their differences and their disagreements were not erased when they sang that. They were still Jew and Gentile, but Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility between them. Jesus loved the Jews. Jesus loved the Gentiles. God reconciled 
with both groups, bringing both groups into God's own self. God made peace with those who were Jewish and those who were Gentile. God loved all of them 100%, completely, fully, enough to pour out the fullness of love for them in human flesh on a cross. The divine presence of God drew a new circle around all of them. They are no longer fragmented from God. They are whole with God. If we see from this perspective of God, how does that change the way we treat one another? Theologian Frederick Bauerschmidt writes, the measure of friendship with God is always the existence of just and loving relationships among humans. Recently, I met Dr. Vora. He teaches biology at William Jewell College. He is a neuroscientist. He was born in India, a member of the Sikh religious community. He explained that they wear the turban in the Sikh tradition so that out in public, if you need help, you know of someone that you can go to and ask for help. Dr. Vora told me that when his son was a Boy Scout here in the United States, that the other boys at Boy Scout camp or at Boy Scout meetings would gather for a meal and they would begin to pray and they would say, oh, oh, we, we know you're Sikh, it's okay. You can pray your own prayer while we're praying our prayer. And he said, no, I will pray with you. There is only one God. Dan fought in the Vietnam War. He came back to Montana so that he could finish college and start a family, but he was met there with insults and slander by people carrying posters with the peace sign painted in rainbow paint. That peace symbol came to symbolize for Dan the pain and the humiliation that he felt. In the book, Portraits of Peace, we learn about how Dan met Betsy, who is the director of a peace center. Dan and Betsy developed a friendship, and they came to understand the war differently by listening to each other. They came to see that neither of them had 100% of the truth. The dividing wall of hostility broke apart. As Dan and Betsy began to see the same symbol from different perspectives, and Dan, who still kind of cringes when he sees the peace sign, went out and bought a piece of jewelry with the peace sign on it and gave it to Betsy because he knows what a powerful symbol it is for her. God, I don't know how, but in Christ, God made us one household. God reconciled with each one of us, with all of humanity. God came and claimed every single one of us. God broke down the dividing wall of hostility between us. And so if we see it from God's perspective, how does that change how we treat one another? I love the story that Alan Hilton tells in his book, United. It's about a church in Dallas. 
The church in Dallas was really excited about engaging in some kind of big mission project. They had raised a lot of money, they had a lot of volunteer hours within their community, and, and they researched the needs of Texas and of that part of the country, and they decided that one of the best things they could do was to build schools along the Texas-Mexico border, and they painted the schools blue so that the children who were in transit could identify these schools and look for them and, and be taken in and educated. Once the project was up and running, there was a big story on the news about it, and a church in Houston saw the news story, and they decided they, they wanted to build blue schools too, so they contacted the church in Dallas, and they asked if they could join forces so that together they could build even more blue schools along the Texas-Mexico border. And once they agreed to do this, to jointly share the love of Christ with these children, once they had joined together, then they discovered that the Dallas church was a very liberal church largely populated by gay people, and the church in Houston was a very, very conservative church that preached and posted on their website that being gay was a sin. But when they realized it, it was too late. They had already agreed that the most important task was to do the work of Jesus in helping the children along the border. The dividing walls of hostility are broken down, not by us, but by Jesus. With Jesus, there is no us and them. Rather, a third reality emerges, a people, a whole humanity full of people embraced by God, what does it mean for you and I to look at a person with whom we vehemently disagree and realize God loves that person? That God has reconciled with that person. How will it change our behavior towards that person? Agreement is not peace. Christ is our peace. Christ is God's doing. Now next week we'll talk about our doing, what it is that we can do, but unity comes, at least in the scripture, first from the unity and wholeness of God who loves all of humanity and sends Christ as our peace. I'll close with this because it is for me a challenging story. It is one of the most difficult things I can imagine doing as a Christian or as a pastor. Helen Prejean is a Roman Catholic nun. You may have heard about her in books or in movies. She has served as the spiritual advisor to seven men on death row. She prays when she goes into the prison for the victims of the crime. And she prays also the healing and the rehabilitation of the perpetrator of the crime. She counsels those who are taking their final steps on this earth, who are most despised on this earth. Recently, Helen wrote an article, and in the article she describes the power of human touch. We know this both biologically as well as spiritually. If you hold a baby, the baby grows better. Here in the church, when we ordain elders or deacons or clergy, 
They stand here and we place our hands upon them. And when we gather in church, we reach out with a handshake or a fist bump to offer the peace of Christ. Helen then tells about the first time that she walked with a man on death row to the electric chair. When she got there, she was not allowed to go into the room, and so she laid her hands on the man's shoulders, and she gripped the man's shoulders tightly. And she said, when you go into that room, look at my face. I will be the face of Christ for you. I will be the love of Christ for you.